Hello, this is Gary Bembridge, and this is My Travel Reviews, the podcast of first-hand experience for people with a passion for travel. And this week on the podcast, we cross the rough and wild Atlantic in the middle of winter. Hi, this is Gary Bembridge, and welcome to the podcast. This is podcast number five in the series. I'm in London this week, and it is, if you're interested, it's the 6th of October 2005 that I'm recording it. And on the podcast today, this week we're going to be talking about the famous or the infamous, if you prefer, the QE2, the Queen Elizabeth II Ocean Liner. And the review is based on a transatlantic crossing that I took from Southampton in the UK to New York that I went on in the wilds of winter in December 2004. And the reason I'm doing it this week is I got an email from a guy called Tim Newman who's booked a short trip on the QE2 with a friend. They're going in the Corona restaurant and he comments, I saw lots of tips on your website, but do you have any more thoughts, advice that you can give about the QE2? So I thought that would be a good thing to do. As I said, I crossed in the wilds of winter and it was very wild. Crossing the Atlantic in midwinter is definitely not for the faint-hearted or those with poor sea legs, but it is and it was one of the most exciting and most wonderful trips I've ever done. Now part of this is because you are actually part of history because the ship no longer does regular transatlantic crossings because that's the job of the newer Queen Mary II. Part of it's also because Generally, very few ships will do a winter Atlantic crossing because the seas are just too rough for the average punter. And thirdly, the QE2, this liner, has been around since the late 1960s. It's working out her final years with style, with grace. So you simply are taking part in what will be a historical journey because there will not be many more of these journeys left. This ship is now the longest-serving Cunard ship in its history. That's very impressive when we look a little bit at just how old this Cunard line is. So in the podcast today, I'm going to talk very briefly just a little bit about Cunard, history of Cunard. I'm going to talk about the QE2, just some key facts around that. And I'm also going to then talk, of course, about the QE2 based on the transatlantic winter crossing that I did in December. Um, and some comments on that were actually picked up and run in one of the Sunday newspapers here in the UK, the Sunday Times, and I'll talk a little bit about that and why you can't actually believe everything you read in the papers. The last thing I'll do at the end is I'll just talk about some travel websites and a couple of emails I've got. So thank you very much if, if you're subscribing to this podcast. If you're listening to the first time, I hope you will subscribe and I'll talk a little bit more about how you do that at the end of the show. Remember, as always, you can get links, you can get photographs, you can get all sorts of stuff on the blog. And the blog you can now get from going to mytravelreviews.com. So that's mytravelreviews.com. If you want to go to the original site, it's mytravelreviews.blogspot.com. But we now have the much simpler one. So that's what we're going to do in the podcast. Let's get going. The Cunard Line is a British-based cruise line. It operates at the moment two ships, the Queen Elizabeth II, the QE2, and the very well-known Queen Mary II, which is now the biggest that's just actually been about to be superseded as the biggest ship on the seas today. The Cunard began in 1838, and actually Samuel Cunard, along with a whole bunch of other people called Napier and Donaldson, a whole lot of other people, created the line. Now, he's actually Canadian, even though Cunard became a very famous British liner. They originally bid on getting 
post the contract for carrying post across the Atlantic. They formed a, a company called the British and North American Royal Mail Steam Packet Company, and eventually it, it changed its name to Cunard Steamships Limited. In 1840 is when it actually really kicked off, and it had, its first ship was called the Britannia, and you'll see on other ships they still use the name Britannia for either restaurants or bars or things. It sailed from Liverpool to Boston, so it's not the Southampton, New York that everyone thinks of, Liverpool to Boston, and it began a passenger and cargo uh, service. It actually thrived and grew, and a lot of people argue the reason that Cunard just was so successful is because it focused on safety, which was very important at the time because they were reliable, they were safe, and they just uh, grew and grew and grew. In fact, they started buying lots of companies, including the White Star Line, which had owned the Titanic, and of course after the Titanic sank, that kind of uh, collapsed really, and they took that all over. They have a long history of being involved in helping the British uh, government when they're at war, both the Queen Mary did, the Queen Elizabeth did, and as we'll see a little bit later, the, the QE2 did. So that's a little bit a real part of the history of Cunard. Cunard is now actually owned by Carnival Corporation. In 1998, it was eventually bought by, Q, by, by Carnival. And Carnival, of course, owns... Um, obviously, Carnival. They own P&O in the UK. They own Holland America. They own just piles and piles and piles of stuff. So they're actually part of a very big company. But Cunard has really fostered and let Cunard really thrive. So let's talk a little bit about the QE2. I'll give you a very brief history of the QE2 because obviously you want to get into thoughts and reviews about it. The QE2 set sail in, in 1969. So that's quite old now. So 1969. But it still is today the fastest kind of commercial ship on the seas. It's still the fastest. And it was actually introduced at a very strange time because jet, you know, reliable jet flights had begun across the Atlantic. And at the time it was created, Cunard took this very positive view. And in fact, there's a quote I've got here, which was in, in October 1958 with a Cunard director who said, flying is but a fad. There will always be passengers for ships like the Queen's. And he was actually proven right. But when the ship came in to service, a lot of people thought this was going to be around for a few months. They built this, this ship and they, they created it as much bigger than the Titanic, but it was designed to be just big enough to get through the Panama Canal. And literally, there's about a foot on either side of the ship that it fits through the Panama Canal. I've never been through the Panama Canal in the q I'd love to do it. It must be the most amazing thing. It was built by... Uh, John Brown and Company in Clydebank. It was actually the last major ship that was built in the Clydebank up in, up in Scotland. Queen Elizabeth, the, the current monarch in the UK, Queen Elizabeth II, she named the ship actually using the same scissors that had been done for the Queen Mary and for the Queen Elizabeth. There was lots of controversy or discussion about how the name, the QE2 or the Queen Elizabeth II, came up. And the view was that actually she was naming it after herself, or wasn't she? Was she actually acknowledging the previous Queen Elizabeth ship? And actually, if there's an audio track, and you can actually listen to that audio track, because I've tracked it down on the BBC site, and I'll put a link onto that, where you can actually see her name in the ship. And she actually does name it Queen Elizabeth II, but not about herself, about the second Queen Elizabeth ship. And that's why it's written with the number two. Queen Elizabeth II, the Queen, has the, the Roman numerals two. The ship has the number two. And that's probably one of the most confusing things. And you'll often find it written. And if you ever write... Queen Elizabeth II with Roman numerals in a group, a Cunard group, they'll soon get told off about that. 
The ship started in a really pretty much uh, not a very auspicious way. The sea trials in 1968 were a complete disaster. Um, there was problems with the, the engines, and in fact, Cunard for a long time refused delivery. And it was almost touch and go at one point where they were even going to accept the ship. But eventually, in 1969, it actually started sailing. So it made the second is, is when it started sailing. But it came into service when all the transatlantic liners were being taken out of service. And everyone was like, this ship is never going to survive. But it did. And by 1975, it was sent on its first world cruise. And it just grew and grew and grew and grew. And it's still around today and very much in service today. Although it's transatlantic role has been taken by the Queen Mary II. Now, interesting about this, this the, the QE2 is, is in 1986, Cunard ripped out the engines completely and replaced them with diesel electric ones. It cost them $162 million, which is twice what it cost to build the ship originally, twice. But the reason was it would have cost them $400 million to build a new ship. And then just then through this process completely kind of gave the QE2, you know, years and years and years and years of, of, of service. It's had a few little um, dramas along the way. In 1972, there was a big bomb scare and a guy had to come parachuting into the, the sea. It was a big hoax in the end. In fact, the guy who actually parachuted in just died, I think it was earlier this year or towards the end of, of last year. It also... Uh, ran aground at one point uh, near Martha's Vineyard and created a lot of problems. But probably its best known is during the Falkland War when Argentina invaded the Falkland Islands, which was in the early 80s. And the British government, because Falkland Islands is so far away, realised the only way they could really get troops and stuff there was was by shipping them in. So they, they basically requisitioned the QE2, painted it, put uh, uh, helicopter landing pads on the ship and sent troops all the way down there although it actually was kept out of the most dangerous part because the viewers they did not want the QE2 sunk so a Pino ship the Canberra was actually sent in to a much more dangerous piece now the QE2 now is Cunard's longest serving ship now bear in mind we said it came in into service Cunard did in the, in the sort of 1800s it's been sailing for over 36 years 4 months and 2 days that's as of the 4th of September 2005. It's, so it's now the longest serving ship. And on the fact sheet or a thing, what's it called, a press release that QNR put out, and it's on their site about it, they have a lot of interesting facts. So things like it sailed 5.3 million nautical miles. That's more than any ship in history. It's the same as going to the moon and back 12 times. 3 million passengers have been on them, on the, on the QE2. It's been to Southampton 651 times. It's done 1,383 voyages. It's crossed the Atlantic 796 times. It's done 23 world voyages. It can sail 24.75 knots on, on average. It actually, interesting thing about the QE2, it can go faster backwards, which is 19 yachts, 19 knots, should I say, which is faster than many ships can do going forwards. So that's an interesting little fact, if you like funny old facts. A few other interesting facts. Um, I said it's been to Southampton 651 times, been to New York 700 times. It's the largest consumer of caviar on Earth, which is interesting. And caviar is very, you get lots of caviar, lots of caviar whenever you want, want it. And for those of you, probably the most important fact of all, 50% of the beer consumed is Heineken and Beck's. So what did I think of the QB2? 
Well, here are my thoughts on the QE2 based on the crossing that I did in Southampton from Southampton, New York in, the, in December 2004. It's the first time I've been. It's the first transatlantic crossing. And it was the beginning of the World Cruise. So the only time the QE2 now crosses the Atlantic is the beginning of the World Cruise. So there's another one in January, for example, when it's going on its, uh, you know, its next World Cruise. And um, that will be when it crosses the Atlantic again and then again in 2007. So what was good about it? Let's talk about good and then less good. The experience of being on the QE2, you feel like you're being part of history. And being on a winter transatlantic crossing, it's a great adventure. You get a real sense of camaraderie. There's a whole excitement about because it, it's kind of an experience. Everyone knows it's going to be rough and it's going to be different and it's just amazing. In fact, it was a fabulous experience. It was very rough at the start. You go through the Bay of Biscay. And, and the Q2, I'm sure, weathers better than any, any other ship because it's designed to do that. I was very pleased I did it. It was an experience versus another trip. Now, because it was so rough at the beginning, the ship was very quiet. And at times, we felt like we had the ship to ourselves. I mean, they told us, I think, on the first, not the night when we set off, the next night, I think about only 30 or 40% of people made it to dinner uh, in the restaurant. And literally, the first couple of days, I mean, you went wandering around the ship during the day, and there's nobody about, because I think everyone was feeling very sorry for themselves in the cabins. And we actually just, we did suffer a bit, or, and my partner was actually quite ill. But we went and had the jabs done, and then we felt fantastic. Now we were in the Queen's School. We went. We decided to go for go for it, and we were in the Queen's School. Now it's a very class-based system in the QE2. So Queen's School is like the first class, if you like, and then they have Princess Grill, etc., etc., and they go down to um, Corona and, and that kind of stuff. So there's, I think there's five different um, restaurants, and based on what cabin you're in, based on which restaurant you you eat in, and Queen's Grill is we were in a Q2 cabin. It's very special. We were right at the top of the ship, what called the, the penthouse piece, which was added on quite a bit later. And it was, the service just amazing. The restaurant's beautiful. The, the service is incredible. You have butlers who just pamper you. They bring you basically booze. They'll do anything that you kind of want. And you have your own little lounge, the Queen's School Lounge, which is, which is also very nice. Um, and it was just, it, it was very, 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 very special. As I said, we, we were on these, these things called the penthouse, which is on the signal deck level. We had a little balcony, which, of course, it's freezing cold in winter, so you don't really use the balcony, but it was nice. It was very tastefully decorated. It was very cozy. It's about 350 square feet. It was very noisy at night because it was rough, and the wood and everything it creaked like crazy, and the air conditioning was very noisy. Now, the people next door told us they hardly slept the whole time they were away because it was, was noisy. And it was kind of like a prefab thing on the top of the ship. And it creaked away, and we even put earplugs in, and it creaked away. So you're ready to put it like you imagine creaking on those old uh, ships, that, you know, sailing ships from donkeys years ago. But it was it was a, a beautifully cabin. Now the ship on the outside looks glorious. It looks very stylish from a distance, in spite of the fact that you know it's 35, 36 years old. And the decks are beautiful because they're these teak decks, and they have these these levels at the back, and. I just loved being outside on the deck, watching the QT plowing through the sea. It was always very quiet, as I said, and you could watch the ship at the back rising and falling. And there's actually um, some video clips, which um, someone who's on the same cruise, hey, he's got a great site with photographs and video clips of the QT, just short little video clips, and I'll put a link to that. And you can just see the ship moving up and down um, like crazy, and they empty the swimming pool because the water's sloshing around. Now, inside the ship, there's some beautiful rooms and, and some cl real classical things because they've kept this, this sort of retro look, if you like. And like the Queen's Lounge, which is also the biggest dance floor at sea, 
Um, it has these like um, funnel type white things. So it's very beautiful. They have a nice bookshop. They have a library. The yacht club bar at the back. They have midships lounge. So they have these very nice rooms. I mean, they're all kind of old fashioned and 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 but just beautifully done. Now the staff in the QE2 are amazing. They make a real effort to treat you well. They get to know what you like. You feel very much like an individual, even though there's, you know, what, 1,200-something people on board. You really do feel much more personal service, more than any other ship I've been on. You know, many ships have great service anyway. Um, and you, you get a sense that they're trying to work out what do you like. The gym facilities are pretty good. The equipment's pretty modern. It's quite a good size, and it's right down in the bowels of the ship. It was very quiet, but I'm guessing that's because it was rough. And they have this great, especially on the transatlantic, because they've got to attend you, they have this incredible program. You can learn bridge, um, you can go to quizzes, and they have a lot of lecturers on board. And the lecture program is fantastic. And they have just amazing lecturers, writers, and they're great speakers. And they then video them and they play them on the on the television. So we ended up watching all of the lectures, I think, on, on the ship. You know, whereas on many ships, they just have, when we get to the next port, we're going to do this and you know so that was very good less good the ship inside is dated it doesn't have as much style and glamour of the bygone age of the brochures and, and, and the image conjures up it, it looks dated and, and I actually was quite surprised by it because it, it was much more old fashioned than, than I thought it would be and it feels a little bit when you first enter it's a bit like an old hotel and then you, the stairwells they have red carpets and paintings of the, of, of the royal family and you know, we had actually watched a lot of videos and read books because I'm a bit of a geek like that. So I like to go and, um, you know, research whenever I'm going somewhere. So I was less surprised. But some people, I think, were really, really thrown by it. And the people next to us, they clearly hated every minute of being there. They hadn't researched the weather. They hadn't researched the ship. They hadn't researched the program. And they hated every minute of it. And I think they had been on other cruises. You know, modern cruise line is very modern. And, but I liked that whole sense of the look and the feel. But it, it was a big shock for people. The ship, unfortunately, is in its twilight years. I mean, it's an old ship, and there were a lot of signs of her aging. There was towels around leaking windows on the deck. There was chairs with which were a bit threadburn, sun-faded portraits. The air conditioning was not very good at all. Um, the plumbing was a little bit unpredictable on our cruise. We had hot water from cold and hot taps, and we had some toilet problems. And some of the public toilets actually smelled disgusting um, in some of the public areas. But you kind of take that for granted because it's part of what the QE2 does. But it is, you know, it is dated. And in fact, they did another bit of an overhaul after um, that cruise because, um, you know, it's very popular. It's doing very well. And the crew acknowledge it's kind of, it's, it's heading, you know, she's clearly heading towards the end of time. It's just how long that's going to be. It was much more of a kind of a holiday camp than we'd expect. I think, you know, based on the advertising and the image, you expect Cunard and the QE2 to be very sophisticated and whatnot. Whereas actually the program events is, is, is you know, it's bingo, your karaoke, your pub quiz, and all those kind of things, which actually, when you're on a transatlantic cruise, it's great fun. We actually got stuck into them, and we actually really enjoyed it. But the people next to us were mortified because they clearly thought it was going to be very upmarket and didn't really approve of bingo and all that sort of stuff. Whereas we got stuck in at a great time. It was a bit older than I'd expect, and that's partly because it was probably heading off on the world cruise. And the entertainment was biased, um, uh, probably a bit older. You know, so the problem is the music quiz was full of 1950s singers and got as far as the 70s, so I didn't do that well on the, on, on the, on the quiz and stuff. But so the, 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 the entertainment probably was a bit dated, I thought. Um, and, and I don't think the entertainment, to be honest with you, was as good as other more, more modern ships that I've been on. Some of the facilities, some of the rooms do need a change. The shops 
aren't very good. They're very dated, not very inspiring. And I'd actually expected an amazing Cunard branded ship. And there wasn't a lot of great stuff there. And I was ready to buy, buy, buy Cunard stuff. Maybe they spent more time on the Queen Mary too. And maybe that's why, why they've done it. And the spa was pretty shabby. I wasn't very impressed with the spa. So kind of summarize, you know, the ship is working out its last years without a shadow of a doubt. You can sort of feel it. But, you know, you're there you're there for a very special reason and, and actually I felt a little bit like I did feel when I was on Concord I'd been on Concord before and then I went on Concord towards the end and you get the sense of you feel like you're part of of something very significant but coming towards the end now there's lots of new regulations coming in, into place um, SOLAS I think it's called and, and there's a lot of discussion and, and, and the groups talk about it and people on the ship talk about it you know will the queue to be able to to carry on without major major investment without it but you know I don't know and and I guess they you know cannot have another ship coming the Queen Victoria coming in 2007 or something so the view is kind of what is the Queen when how much longer is the QE2 going to be but I want to stress that I had a glorious glorious time the QE2 itself was fantastic going on the QE2 on a transatlantic crossing was amazing and I if you really are happy to take it, that, that chance to just go you can have a jab if you get seasick at the end of the day it's just an incredible travel experience. It was amazing. You're pampered. Do it. It's just amazing. Would I go on it again? I, yes, I would go on it again. Although I want to go on the Queen Mary 2 first and try that out. We're going to take a listen now to the views of Mark, who is my traveling partner on that rough and ready QE2 crossing. Here's what he had to say about it. Well, I thought it was a great experience. I'm very pleased I did it. The ship, I thought, was a little bit dated. But the cabins were very nice. We were fortunate enough to stay in one of the penthouse cabins, which were big, although the whole ship was a bit creaky, although some people say that's part of its character. I thought the food was exquisite. The Queen's Grill restaurant was superb. The Queen's Grill lounge was very nice. Um, It's a shame some of the facilities just seem a bit dated, like the gym is right down in the bowels of the ship and it's not particularly nice being down there Um, but the whole experience is one that I wouldn't have missed we were travelling across the Atlantic in December and it was very rough and on the first day I was quite seasick but I went down to the medical centre which is actually on deck C6 which sounds a bit like seasick Um, and I had an injection there and that stopped me from being sick but it was very rough on the crossing now this is when you kind of realise that everything you read in the newspaper is not true just after I came back and uh, with my cruise links.blogspot.com blog and through the groups and where I posted reviews and comments it got picked up by the Sunday Times which is a big Sunday newspaper in the UK and January the 23rd they ran an article called QE2 Past It's Best by a guy called Chris Haslam and I got quoted. It says, Gary Bembridge, a veteran cruise fan from Chiswick West London, bear in mind that was only the second cruise I'd ever been on, has recently switched his custom from the QE2 to the 150,000 ton Queen Mary 2. And this is a quote now. The QE2 is clearly in its twilight years, he says. There were towels around leaking windows, chairs with threadbare arms, sun faded portraits, and unpredictable plumbing, hot water from the cold taps on most days, and the loose behind the Queen's Grill smelt a lot like a public lavatory. 
Now, actually what happened is the ship went after us, after we got off at New York, and it went off to the Bahamas and the Caribbean. And they actually had, a, on New Year's Eve, they had a power cut for two hours, and they were stuck in, in sort of really rough seas with no power. But anyway, QE2 is fantastic. It was great fun. It was an amazing thing. And as you can tell from my, my review of it, I would strongly recommend it. So I just want to wrap up the podcast um, today by reminding you that mytravelreviews.com is where you can get lots of links. There's actually piles of links um, this week, as you can probably gather, because I've done lots of research, and I know before I went on the trip and during the trip. So I've got lots and lots of things on, on the blog there for you to have a look at, and a couple of other links and photographs and things. And the last thing I'd like to do is just mention another podcast. I had a very nice email from um, Barry Kantz of the Home-Based Travel Agent podcast, which I'd been listening to. And you can find more about him at hometravelagent.net and you can listen to his podcast. And he has a whole pile of interesting stuff. So I'd like to thank Barry for his, um, his best wishes and for his comments. And he gave me a plug apparently on his forthcoming podcast. So I hope you enjoy that. So that's all for this week. Next week, I will actually be in Paris, France. So we'll be doing a bit of Paris next week. So that's all. Until then, happy travels. You've been listening to My Travel Reviews with Gary Benbridge, the podcast of first-hand travel experience for people with a passion for travel.